0: don't wait visit sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save
1: what's my pet peeve messy cat litter those furry little pads turn into cat litter super spreaders leaving the already been used litter scattered across the floor for your bare feet to discover the solution world's best cat litter's new load tracking and dust control it's quick clumping made from corn so it doesn't stick to paws like clay, and specially formulated to stay where it belongs, in the box. Switch to World's Best Cat Litter for a happier, less littered home.
2: And welcome back to The Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call The Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And The Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on The Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, simul radio and simul TV now if you'd like to find out about the programming we have available for you 24 7 365 on the Exon Broadcast Network visit www.xzbn.net and for our broadcast schedule on the Exon TV channel which is channel 21 on simul TV visit www.simultv.com ExoNation, my guest this hour is Karen Fraser, and Karen writes spiritual, metaphysical, paranormal, and vibrational healing books, articles, and blogs that explore topics such as dream interpretations, reincarnation, life between lives, life after death, energy healing, crystals, ghosts, psychic phenomenon, and the survival of consciousness after death. She is also a columnist for Paranormal Underground Magazine, writing a monthly metaphysical column, and a dream and symbols column. Additionally, Karen writes cookbooks, nutrition, and reference books uh, and offers energy healing sessions and classes. Her website is authorkarenfraser.com. And author Karen Fraser, welcome to the x Thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and what was it that happened in the life of Karen Fraser that put her onto this path into the metaphysical
3: yeah, it's, a, it's, it's always an interesting question, mm-hmm. isn't it? So for me, I actually was raised in a very kind of a traditional religious background. Right. Um, but I had a father who was a very questioning person. And so while he attended church and, and made sure that my sisters and I attended church, he also was always kind of looking for things and questioning things. Right. And when I was about 15, he handed me a book by Raymond Moody, and that was the start. Wow. All of it. it, the the life. Uh, I can't even think of what the name is. is it. Life after life. I think Raymond so, Moody's yeah. first book,
2: and since then the rest is history.
3: Uh, the rest, well, kind of. I spent a long time mm-hmm. really um, struggling with what I considered were fringe beliefs. I come from a um, my my education is is more of concrete scientific things but I always had this other side to me Mm -hmm. and I just kind of always thought that it was like a fringe fun interest as opposed to anything legit and um, then when I was uh, fresh out of college my first apartment out of college I actually lived in a haunted apartment and it started to shift then what I what I kind of always had known I believed Mm -hmm. but was denying I believed
2: Uh, Tell us about your first haunted apartment. That must have been uh, a rather exciting experience, if I can use that.
3: It was actually former military housing in Bremerton, Washington, Mm -hmm. uh, which has a lot. It's a Navy town um, in Washington State. And so these were just little old. I think they had been like officers housing or something. And Mm -hmm. I was actually married to somebody who was in the Navy, and he was a submariner. So he would go out to sea for three months, and we were just brand new, newly married, like fresh out of college, married. And he went out to sea almost immediately upon moving into this apartment. And so I was there alone a lot. And Mm -hmm. I just really weird things happen. A lot of poltergeist type activity, like doors would open and close on their own. I would be laying in bed and I would hear the sink actually go, and the water would start to run in the sink. And then I would hear, and it would, it would turn off. And I would, hear footsteps walking across from the front door into my bedroom. It was a tiny little apartment,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and um, I would hear footsteps that wow. would kind of walk, 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 and I'd feel somebody sit down on the bed next to me, and I'd actually feel like their breath on my cheek. Oh,
2: that now, now you're starting would, to freak me out now. Now you're starting I to freak out. I know, and they out.
3: would lean over and they would whisper in my ear, oh, come I on. love you. It still gives me chills today. I mean, and I've done you know, yeah. anything paranormal, almost, you can think of. And that story still freaks me out. <laughs>
2: um, did you ever find out who was whispering sweet nothings in your ear? I guess you can say sweet nothings because it was you couldn't see anybody. So there's <laughs> the real expression in the, uh, sweet nothings. Did you ever find out who it was? Yeah.
3: No, I never did. Um, when my husband came home, um, well, uh-huh. there was an event that finally, finally just sent me off of the edge. We, I... Went to work and I came home and my husband was still out at sea and the house right. had been all locked up. And I walked in the front door and we had this six foot inflatable Godzilla because we were twenty two. Yeah. And it was sitting it usually sat in the corner of my living room. It was sitting in the middle of my bed. Ooh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so you've got this but, you've, got, you've you've got this spirit who is madly in love with you and likes playing with your toys.
3: I guess. Okay. It, was, it was it was really, really strange. And I would actually um I don't live in Bremerton anymore. I moved away many years
4: ago.
2: I don't blame you.
4: Um
3: but I would I, I would actually love to go visit that specific apartment now, knowing what I know now and see what I could find out. Why don't you? Um Mainly because if there are young people like me yeah. living there, like I was uh-huh. living there, and they don't know anything about it, I don't want to terrify them.
2: Oh, come on.
3: Sounds like. Well, I know. You know, knock it's on the door, I knock, will. knock,
2: knock, and say, you're not going to believe this, but is your house haunted? <laughs> Have you had anything strange happen to you? Does, does somebody yeah. or something whisper in your, I
4: love you?
3: Yeah, maybe I will because I mean, at some point yeah. I, I I might. I live about I live about an hour and a half away from there now, and and I kind of am up through the area maybe about mm-hmm. once a year, and I always think about it when I drive by.
2: Wouldn't it be <laughs> interesting? Wouldn't it. wouldn't it be interesting if after you left that there has never been a trace of a ghost or a haunting since?
3: Yeah, I I honestly I I don't know. We got out of there pretty yeah. darn quick. We got out of there as soon as we could.
2: I'll bet you that was the fastest you ever packed in your life.
3: Well, yeah, I I was ready to go before my husband came home, and he would only be out to sea for about 90 days, so this was all over a period of about three months.
2: What did your husband say about all the going-ons?
3: Well, he was a Navy nuke, Yeah. um, so nuclear engineering, and so he just kind of rolled his eyes at me and thought that I was possibly being over-imaginative because I was living in a place alone for the first time. You know, because I'd always either lived with my parents or right. a roommate. Yeah.
2: But uh, does he believe you now, with all the work you're doing in the paranormal, the writing that you do, and has had different husband. Ha- oh, different. So. Oh, geez, I'm sorry. I, I naturally assumed <laughs> that it was the same one. So my apologies. No. So let me ask you no, this. No, but it's
3: really it's really funny because yeah. my current husband is right. also is a former Navy nuke. So, uh, I like the smart engineering geeky types. Because oh, come I actually, on. Let's, let's face it. Let's, face, let's face
2: it. You like the uniform. <laughs>
3: <Uh-ha>! <laughs> he doesn't wear the, he can't fit in the uniform anymore. I'm almost certain of it. Oh my goodness. Um, but he, I, you know, I have always liked those very analytical kind of geeky that's, and so my, mm-hmm. my husband is that way and he kind of rolled his eyes at me in the beginning. Um, when we've been together 18 years and in the beginning he kind of rolled his eyes Uh but oh no he's had experiences now and he's he believes me
2: what kind of experiences and now have you had these experiences together
3: yes so um well first of all i'm sitting up in the haunted room of our house right now which is my son's former bedroom and it's now it's my um energy healing studio that i work with clients in and so this has always been the haunted room, uh-huh. and we've had all sorts of things happen up here. Be sitting downstairs when my son was at school or whatever and hear his desk chair roll across the floor mm-hmm. and yell, knock it off, and hear it stop. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> just little, little things like that. And then I have a lot of, uh-huh. if you're probably shocked to hear this, I have a lot of psychic friends, and a lot of them have come in and said, uh-huh. you know, we have got somebody living upstairs in that room, don't you? And I just, yeah. I mean, you know, they're
2: here, it's fine. Uh, we've got to take a commercial break, uh, but uh, I, I, I must say that you certainly have an act for picking haunted locations, don't you? I do. All right, you and I will return on the other side of this message. And, explanation. our guest this hour is Karen Fraser, and she is an author. Her website is authorkarenfraser.com. And Karen and I will return on the other side of this very short break. As we continue talking about the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology, right here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to send me an email, x exone at x TV.com, And for the latest edition of the X-Chronicles newspaper that you can read with our compliments, we've been publishing it since uh, 1990, January 1990, each and every month, you can go to www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. We'll be back on the other side talking more about ghost hauntings and energy healing here in the X Zone. Don't go away.
0: Ooh, don't wait visit sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save the we're going family style deal because i want a bite of your big mac and i need some of your i'll try your filet of fish there's a
3: deal for every friend group at mcdonald's order any two classics for just six bucks price of participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer
2: Exonation. Nation, Karen Fraser is our special guest, and um, we're talking to Karen about, oh my gosh, so many things, uh, spirituality, metaphysical, uh, the world, uh, paranormal, and much more. Her website, authorkarenfraser.com. So Karen, how did you end up leaving one haunted house, ending up in another haunted location, and is it possible that you brought the spirit or the ghost with you? <laughs>
3: Well, nobody, I mean, I haven't had a ghost tell me, you know, he's loved me in almost like 30 years. Oh, so really? Oh, okay. Isn't I, I, that a bummer? Well, um, not really. So My wife no. hasn't told
2: me she loves me after 30 years either, so I can understand that.
3: <laughs> Maybe he's tired of me. Huh? <laughs> so I think that what happened mm-hmm. is, or I think that I I think that I was drawn to these places for a reason. Right. And I believe that because what the ghost thing did was it opened up this whole path to things that I'd wanted to believe my entire life, Mm. but just really couldn't work it out how I could and not be a total kook. Um, I mean, and now I just don't care if I'm a total kook or not because I've had all of these experiences, and it's led to all of these things that are very important to me that I think are making the world a better place, like the energy Mm -hmm. healing and the classes that I teach and all of that.
2: So tell me about the energy healing. How does that work?
3: Sure. Well, so I actually deal with all different kinds of energy healing, mm-hmm. and um, everything in the universe is vibration. Right. And so your vibration, I'm vibration. The chair I'm sitting in is vibration, and it's little tiny strands of vibrating energy surrounded by vast amounts of space.
4: Mm-hmm. Everything
3: that looks solid um is actually quite empty there's just little it's all held together with force fields but there's all this empty space in everything and so if we're vibrating energy and everything else is vibrating energy mm-hmm. then when you put energy into things through thoughts uh, words and action then you can change the vibration of something and bring about healing and so i work in multiple modalities i like um i kind of dig in sound healing a lot right now i'm using like singing bowls and things like that i'm a reiki master teacher i have written several books about crystals
2: mm-hmm. um
3: and all of these are just different ways to raise vibration
2: all right take us uh, tell us about reiki because everybody hears about reiki and people that are reiki masters but what is the principle behind reiki how does it work
3: well Reiki is just universal energy and mm-hmm. just like any other form of energy healing Reiki we channel universal energy through us through our hands and the person I'm actually not doing anything I'm putting my hands on on my healing partner and the healing partner is drawing that energy into them they are choosing to do that because they're vibrationally ready for for something to change so Reiki um, is Japanese. Mm-hmm. As you can probably guess from the name, it's been around for centuries, although in the West, it's actually relatively recent, like the last hundred years or so. Everybody who has practices Reiki in the West, at least the form that I do, the Usui Rioho Reiki, they do it. Um, it it's all gone through, can be traced through one woman in Hawaii named um, Hawaii Takata, oh. who was tuned by a Reiki master in Japan, um, Mikao Usui. So I, I, that's a lot. I know that doesn't really matter to most people. But so it's, it's passed down through this lineage mm-hmm. um, that can be traced to one person. And it's prolifer- proliferated in the West. And basically, anybody can become attuned to Reiki. You just need to have a Reiki master teach you the principles and attune you to the, attune you to the energy. And then for the rest of your life, you can channel Reiki life force energy and it's up to the people that you work with whether they choose to draw that in or not. And if they're here to see me for a Reiki session or if they ask me for a Reiki session across distance, mm-hmm. then that is, it's their intention then to have healing. And so basically, um, there's a principle called entrainment in energy healing. It's actually it's a physics principle. There's, um, there was a guy who was a Dutch guy. His name was Kristen Hugens. Um, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong because there's like two U's and a N and
4: right. several
3: Y's. And um, But he discovered back in like the 1600s that he put two pendulum clocks side by side on the wall, and they started out ticking at different rates. Mm-hmm. So the pendulums weren't swinging together, and as they spent time together on that wall, within a few minutes, they were swinging together. And that's called entrainment, basically, when two objects... If different frequencies are placed in proximity to one another, they kind of meet in the middle and adjust their frequency so they vibrate together. And that is the basis behind all energy healing. When you place some someone in proximity to something that has a higher vibration, mm-hmm. the two meet in the middle and the vibration of one raises, the vibration of the other lowers.
2: Wow. I can understand that if you're working with someone at your at your healing room. But how does that work long distance? You're not able to touch the person, so how do you channel the energy, and how, do you, how does that work?
3: Well, I guess, um, so I don't believe, I, I believe that space and time are constructs that we have that are part of an illusion that we live in.
2: Oh, hold on here, hold on here, hold on here. All right, so you're saying that this is not a reality that we're living in, it's an illusion?
3: I think we live in the matrix.
2: Okay, so how can I be talking to you then if this is an illusion?
3: Well, because we have all agreed to buy into this illusion when we came to be incarnated in the human body, when our spirits came to be incarnated in the human body, we All all agreed to buy into the illusion so that we can have certain experiences and experience ourselves in certain ways so that we can know ourselves. Because if all we ever live in is in, the, is in this kind of space of love and joy and peace and floatiness and all of that, how do we ever understand and appreciate that unless we allow ourselves into the experience of relativity and the full spectrum you know, of...
2: That, that's that's a wonderful thought, but how do we prove it?
3: <laughs> well, Gosh. If I knew that I would have a, I would have at least another book,
2: huh? Yeah, um, but 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 my yeah. qu- my question is is that, you know, it's a wonderful uh painting, picture that you you just gave us and I think everybody mm-hmm. would love to live in in utopia. But how do we ah. know that this is a a false reality that we're living in that we signed a contract or we knew what we were getting into that we actually left a utopian civilization or lifestyle to come here and be battered around on earth that how do we know that
4: well i don't know
3: that we can know for sure but there are certain things people have experienced it in meditation Mm -hmm. Um, people have experienced it in astral projection and astral travel and then also there's there's a form of uh regression hypnotherapy called life between lives hypnotherapy Uh um that has allowed people to to understand and have that experience where Mm-hmm. Many, many people in various cultures and um very far removed from one another have followed the hypnosis protocol and had very similar experiences and so that's not proof mm-hmm. um as far as you know it's it's not scientific proof,
4: right. but it's
3: certainly a body of evidence that that makes you makes you think that it could be a possibly possibility. I believe that there is a preponderance of the evidence when you look at uh, reincarnation research, Mm -hmm. when you look at life between lives research, when you hear people's stories of astral travel and meditation. There is a preponderance of the evidence that at least suggests that that may be something that's true.
2: But saying there's a preponderance of evidence and then using the word suggest that makes no sense because you're saying you have fact and then you hypothesize
3: so you're saying preponderance of evidence is fact you 're right it's it 's a hypothesis yeah. um, and and not even yeah it 's a hypothesis is exactly what it is, and I mean you know we 're not going to know until we go um, but there's just this whole body of work out mm. there, and that even includes things like um people who have channeled information and and all of that and look the world's full of big fakers i get that and um people can be big fakers and mm. people want attention sure. and people want and um but i i have had experiences in meditation and in um life between lives right. regression where i've seen these things as well so for me it's clear i i never claim it's scientific it is a belief system
2: okay absolutely 100
3: percent a belief system so
2: if you believe it you need in order for it to happen and in order for it to manifest itself for whatever the uh you know the uh the alternate reality is you must believe that it does exist or else it's not going to manifest itself
3: I think that intention plays a huge role yeah. when I teach my classes, uh-huh. and in, in most of my energy healing books, I say, look, intention is everything. And I'm not going to know until I die um, what happens. But
2: what happens if you're wrong?
3: Uh, at least I enjoyed myself while I was here trying to figure it out. Gotcha. I mean, the way I figure is that there's, there's a couple possibilities. One is that I'm just going to be gone. I'm going to be mm-hmm. taking a dirt nap, and my consciousness is gone. Yep. And so if I was wrong,
4: who
2: cares? That's true, but you and I have to take a commercial break with the news because my producer does care. And we'll be back uh, as we continue here in the Exxon with our guest this hour, Exxon Nation, Karen Fraser. Her website is www.authorkarenfraser.com. And we'll both be back. As we continue here in our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, you can all send me an email at TV.com and check out our main website at www.xonradiotv.com.
5: From world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more. Wish the headlines would just stop. It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you are not alone. Support is out there, just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through friendly people at churchescare.com. At ChurchesCare.com, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. ChurchesCare.com helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit ChurchesCare.com today. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com.
2: ExoNation, my guest this hour is Karen Fraser. Now, uh, Karen writes spiritual, metaphysical, paranormal, and vibrational healing books, articles, and blogs, and explores topics such as dream interpretations, reincarnation, life between lives, and life after death, energy healing, crystals, ghosts, psychic phenomenon, and the survival of consciousness after death. Her website is authorkarenfraser.com. Um why is it that the New Age and and I'm not and I'm just calling what you and other people who do Reiki and talk about crystals and uh, you know vibrational uh, experiences and reincarnation, life between life, and so on and so forth? Why is the New Age such a an, uh, such a talked about topic these days?
3: Well, that's a question, isn't it? You know, so if you look backwards through mm-hmm. history, there are kind of cycles of up and down yeah. where these things happen, like there was spiritualism mm-hmm. around the turn of the century, the, the century before this one. And then we sort of, I would say probably, um, I mean, look, I'm an old uh, spiritual show person from years back. I used to like to watch like Unsolved Mysteries and Sightings and all of that sure. stuff. But I really think that, that Ghost Hunters issue, uh, it ushered in uh, people who were super interested in this stuff and um, I think that for some people I think that look we live in a really divided world Mm -hmm. Um, and especially here in the United States you know everything is everybody's mad at everybody about everything and if you're not with us you're against us and I think that new age topics and I I don't object to the the label new age I mean Mm -hmm. you got to call it something right Um, I think that new age topics Give people a place of focus and a place of hope, and I also think that death is kind of the last great unknown, mm-hmm. and we're all, it's going to happen to all of us.
2: Sure, yeah, that's the only and, thing that you're sure of about life, because the moment you're conceived is the moment you start to die.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's and a I stark think reality. That people are aware of that, yeah. and I think people are afraid of that, and I think that that these ideas and thoughts mm-hmm. um, are very helpful. And then I also think that you see. A shift in, um, in how, like, psychotherapy and things mm-hmm. like there's cognitive behavior therapy, which is a lot of having a thought and changing the way you think. Yeah. Um, and I think that you see there's a shift in those practices as well that somewhat aligns with, with an interest in these new age topics. Plus, crystals are just super cool and pretty.
2: Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Does does the new age, uh, is the new age a placebo effect for people who are having a hard time with reality in this very fast world of ours?
3: Probably. I think in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that it, whatever it takes, you know, whatever it takes to make it, I think that it's okay to, to have something that's a placebo. Look, placebos have... Very important uses in medicine, even. Oh, sure they do. Um, because if I think I'm okay, yeah, then I'm going to be okay.
2: But but, what about the fact that what the new age proponents are are talking about and teaching, and and what happens if they're wrong? This is my big concern. Well, what- No, I get it.
3: What what happens if Christianity is wrong? What happens if Judaism is wrong? Well, so are you saying? Are you are
2: you putting the New Age genre in the same uh, classification as a religious philosophy?
3: It's all supernatural, isn't
2: it? Oh, I, I. I, I, I really,
3: It's all belief in something that it's all belief in something that's ineffable that we can't explain, we can't see Yeah, but not everybody not
2: everybody rewrites the Bible, like all these new books that are coming out from the new age groups. No yeah, one that's true. you know, everybody's got their own idea, everybody's got their own mm-hmm. way of looking at things. You know, the Bible doesn't mm-hmm. change, the tar- the Torah doesn't change. So I really don't think we can even well, I that. I would
3: argue that the Bible has probably changed incredibly vastly um, because the Bible was decided on by a group of humans and a mm-hmm. group of men at the Nicene Council. And it should and have been, decided. yeah. Yeah, so, so, you know, the Bible... And and I believe that there are truths in the Bible. Look, I was sure. raised Christian. Um, I believe in God. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily the personal dad God, you know, the guy in ropes Why not? But I believe I believe in the God of Einstein.
4: Oh,
3: boy. Which is yeah. the the force that unites everything so, in the universe. That's so may the, the force,
2: may the force be with you, huh?
3: <laughs> That's right. I Well, I never looked at it that way, but, yeah, I, I mean, I believe in, you know, I believe that there is a unifying force. I believe that the mm-hmm. universe, there is some form of, and I hate to use this word because it's, um, or this term, because I feel like it's been co-opted, but I do believe that there is some level of intelligent design in the way that everything has come together in the universe. Uh, you I know, agree, there's yeah. just things that are super cool, like Fibonacci mm-hmm. spirals and, and um, you know, prime numbers and mm-hmm. and all of those things that, are very interesting and look like it was it came together because of intelligent design of some kind
2: tell me about where crystals play in the new age uh, genre
3: okay well so for me first of all crystals Mm -hmm. i am a total geology wonk i love geology i let i i love like all of the scientific aspects of rocks i always have i collected rocks when i was a kid so crystals are um Very popular right now, just crazy popular right now. My son was saying that somebody was teaching crystal classes on his college campus. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think crystals have always been kind of considered fringe and kooky until the last several years. And again, crystals are just a vibrational thing. Crystals have a certain vibration within them, and different crystals have different vibrations because the earth vibrates. Crystals come from the earth. Uh And um, so when you put a crystal near something that's vibrating at a lower vibration, the the vibration of whatever you put them near changes. And it meets the crystals in the middle. And and so for me, it's just that simple. It's it's still just a matter of vibration. But also, they're super cool, and they're really pretty, and I like to have them around because I like to look at them.
2: Okay, so how would they be used within the New Age uh, world?
3: Well, they're used in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. So I, that's actually the subject of my next book that I have coming out called Crystal Alchemist that is, talks about the various uses for crystals. People wear crystals um, in order to perhaps set an intention or to change their frequency or vibration. People place crystals in their spaces, either in grids, which are just uh, g- geometric arrangements of mm-hmm. crystals, of various crystals. Um, around where they live in hopes of raising the vibration of places where they live and work and play. Um, You know, you can buy soap with crystals in it now if you want to wash yourself with them. So you can can use them in any way, and essentially, look, for some people they're just a reminder. I have a crystal I wear around my neck, I look Mm -hmm. at it, and it reminds me that I want to speak my truth. And so it can just be a simple reminder of an intention or it can okay. be a vibration that works within my vibration and, and helps me to something different.
2: It just helps you make a make yourself a better person. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk if we if we can about um survival of consciousness after death. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell me about it.
3: <laughs> well, so I've spent um, years thinking about this since that first Raymond Moody book and I've mm-hmm. actually interviewed Dr. Moody a few times um, when I was doing a radio show as well and um, what a lovely man he is by the way and he just because he sort of interested me in everything mm-hmm. he was kind of like you know this is the guy I want to talk to and um, so he you know he was the one who really first got me thinking about survival of consciousness about death because when I was uh, younger, when I was in my early teens, I was the the kid in Sunday school that the Sunday school teacher didn't like very much because I always had questions. And the questions weren't always easy things to answer. Um, you know, how could somebody who's never had sex have a baby? Things like that. I, I would ask those questions and usually just, you know, kind of get shuffled to the side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, when I... Up until when I read the the Dr. Moody's book, yes. I hadn't believed that consciousness survived death. I believed that I probably would be gone, and that would be it, and it would be peaceful because I would be. I just I would be gone. There would right. be nothing left of. Um, but if everything is energy and everything is vibration, mm-hmm. and one of the laws of thermodynamics is that energy can neither be. Uh, destroy or it can't be destroyed or created it just is and it changes form right so that means that if i'm all energy which i am and my energy can neither be created nor destroyed then when my body dies Mm -hmm. something still happens to that energy but how does that energy how does
2: that energy stay together to form the very well then how is the essence your essence maintained within that energy field
3: I think it's maintained in every single strand of energy. I kind of look at consciousness mm-hmm. as um, the ocean. If I dip a cup of water in the ocean, yeah that cup of water now has an identity as a cup of water, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: When I dump it back in the ocean, the water disperses, but it still has the memory of being that cup of water.
2: You and I have to take our final break. Please stand by. Exxon Nation, Karen Fraser is our guest this hour. Her website is authorkarenfraser.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. And Explanation Karen Fraser is our special guest this hour. Her website is www.authorkarenfraser.com. Karen, before we went to the break, we were just starting to talk about consciousness, uh, the survival of consciousness after death. Yes. Okay. uh, Can you give us some examples of that?
3: Sure. Well, a a ghost Mm -hmm. would be um, a survival of consciousness after death because there is some semblance of that consciousness that has remained after the body is gone. So anything where consciousness remains after the body is Mm -hmm. gone is survival consciousness after death. So if a medium is communicating with people on the other side, um, across the veil, whatever
4: they call it, right? right,
3: That would be that consciousness surviving because some part of that person's consciousness is still communicating through this medium if the medium is genuinely having those communications. if you are reincarnated and you have memories of a past life, that mm-hmm. is possible evidence of survival of consciousness after death. Even um, near-death experiences where someone has actually physically died and then come back is an is an example of, of conscious survival after death.
2: Uh, okay, I'm trying to understand. Yo, all right, so if somebody has near-death experience and they mm-hmm. come back
3: but while they're dead uh, right, they have, right. they're having that experience. Okay, you know I see, they, I see. They, and they have the, the stages, they float above their mm-hmm. body they hear what the doctors are saying. Right. Um, all of those all of those things that that Dr. Moody discussed and that Sam Parnia has worked on in his his work with uh, near death experiences as well with his mm-hmm. heart patients. Um while they're dead if they're having this experience there's no brain cells firing for them to be having this experience if they're truly dead. And so it's that consciousness is having that experience.
2: Based on our understanding of how death works at this point. But what happens five, six, seven years down the line and more discoveries are made and what we believe happens at the point of death now is totally disproven and the new way of thinking happens. How does this affect the the uh, survival of consciousness after life, the near death uh you know the out of body experiences and all the other topics that, yeah. that are that are so popular today
4: it's a great
3: question, but I don't know the answer yeah. because um, I mean I would frankly mm-hmm. i I think that everything that we're talking about has scientific explanations. I think most of it's going to be found mm-hmm. in consciousness and quantum research um. And uh, I just I, I think that those are the science for that is all coming. I don't know. I I mean I hope it's in my lifetime. It may not be, but um, then we just shift how we think and understand mm-hmm. things, and maybe we can uh, then live as human beings in a different and possibly better, kinder way.
2: But we haven't done that since the beginning of time.
3: We certainly have not have. We? Yeah. But
2: it's it, always an admirable goal. It is, it is. And, um, you know, there are species in the animal kingdom that just cannot live together. There are fish yeah. that cannot live together. And I yeah. look at the big picture and saying, listen, Mother Nature is showing us that as members of this planet and the animal kingdom, we will never live in peace.
3: Mm, well, you know... Oh, well, so first of all, mm-hmm. when, when we're talking about species being unable to live together, you know, we we have a food chain. And um, species certain species are always going to need to eat other species. And, you know, plants are a species too, and they're a living thing too. Yeah. And the bottom line is bodies need nourishment, whether it's plant or animal.
2: Yeah, but I'm not talking about um, eating each other. I'm talking about living together.
3: Well, I mean, but, but I think that when you're talking it, I, so I don't know. I, I, animal consciousness is something entirely different and I can't, um, I can't really speak to it because, mm-hmm. you know, I think my dog understands what I tell her.
4: Sure. Uh, <laughs> so, I agree. So I, uh, I,
3: so I know that there's some level of consciousness in mm-hmm. animals, but I think in humans it's, it's a different level of consciousness. And, um, I, I think that we can, but I'm also, you know, an incredible optimist, and probably tend to be somewhat—I'm um, will, willfully naive in that I want to believe mm-hmm. that we can find our way as a species and be kinder to one another and our cohabitants on Earth and our planet and and everything else in the universe. Now that does. To say it's going to be easy, but I don't believe that you know somebody's going to snap their fingers or wave their magic wand. If yep. we're going to be living in a utopian society, because
2: it ain't going to happen. It's just,
3: no, it's not going to happen. But for me, mm-hmm. I want to believe, and I want to help other people to see that if they choose kindness, and they choose love, and they choose compassion, and they choose to heal themselves, that they can work more easily with others, even people who are damaged
2: speaking about consciousness you also write about dreams what do we know about dreams
3: you know we don't know nearly as much about dreams as we would like to Mm -hmm. Uh, so with dreams a lot of your dreams are and usually just the ones you don't remember are just processing your mind uses dreams to process the events of your day however there are other dreams that the ones that you wake up and you think, holy crap, what did I eat before I went to bed? Mm-hmm. Maybe no more pepperoni for me. Um, a lot of those dreams are symbolic. And if you look at these symbols, you can come up with pretty, pretty cogent arguments that these dreams are telling you something. And this is all based on things like union dream interpretation and archetypes. Yep. And, um uh, not not necessarily so much Freudian, but so I have interpreted hundreds of dreams for people because people write into me, and I interpret dreams for them in my column. And um, usually they're pretty shocked at how right on those dreams are when I don't know anything about them because they write to me anonymously. Right. And all I'm doing is looking at the symbols and the context and, and the overall theme of the dream and saying, look, this is probably what the dream is telling you about what's going on in, in their
2: life so where did you learn all of the symbols uh, and uh, where did you learn the ability to interpret dreams
3: oh self-taught i uh, was fascinated by by Jung, Mm -hmm. and um i was fascinated by dream interpretation and i've just i've talked to a lot of people i did a lot of work i started out many 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 years ago because i have doozy dreams i just always have and i started out many years ago just working with a dream dictionary and interpreting mine mm-hmm. and over the years it became something that became second nature to me and so soon my friends started asking me about it mm-hmm. and so I've been interpreting dreams since I was in my twenties I mean I did my own in my teens.
2: But if dreams are so individualized reflecting the processes of, of a person mm-hmm. what happened during the day. The symbol mm-hmm. of a horse in my dream may have a totally different meaning yeah. in your dream. So how do you justify taking these dreams and applying one central method of, of doing it to the, and uh, telling these people what their dreams are about? Well,
3: that's a good question. Yeah, um so, so when i so the dreams that we're talking about the symbolic dreams mm-hmm. uh rely on several different kinds of symbolism and they're very different than the processing dreams the processing dreams you almost never remember they're very unless you wake up in the middle of them mm-hmm. When they're very mundane it's the strange dreams and not so not every dream has meaning mm-hmm. I, it just doesn't i you know if i dream that i'm sitting at my computer mm-hmm. typing all day I, probably doesn't mean anything other than that I sat at my computer and typed that day, and my brain is sorting and processing those me- uh, memories. But um, Jung and also Edgar Cayce and, and several other people uh, in the area of dream interpretation believe that there's this universal symbolic language, and it comes from personal symbolism, tribal sim- symbolism, societal symbolism, and then overall symbolism. So we all, you and I may have very different symbols based on our different backgrounds. Like you live in Canada. I live in the United States, although I live very close to Canada. Um, um, and so you may interpret a maple leaf as something different than I interpret a maple leaf as, um, for instance. But then there are also these overarching themes. And so I have actually written a book because I would prefer people interpret their own dreams rather than asking me to do it. Because, um, I wouldn't have a very good column then, but because I think that that personal symbolism does play a huge role in dreams. And so I actually wrote a book, it's called Dark of Night and the Light of Day, Mm -hmm. and it actually walks people through this process of first looking at personal and tribal symbolism before they look at broader symbolism. But the symbols that we have in dreams that are universal are very similar to the symbols that psychic mediums say that they see, a lot of times when they're communicating with the other
2: side, too. Interesting. And uh, Karen, I want to thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight here on the Exonate Exonation. If you'd like to get more information uh, from our guest or about our guest of this hour, Karen Fraser, her um, her website is www. Fraser dot com. And I don't know how many times she said Craig that. Uh, no, that's a good question. That means a guest needs a couple of seconds to formulate an answer because they weren't expecting that kind of question. Just imagine that. Asking a question that they're not ready for. Now, how do you interpret dreams for somebody else? Makes no sense. You know, but that's the entire New Age genre. Nothing in it makes sense except one thing. People write books. People make money. People do online sessions, people make money. People do psychic readings, you got it, Exonation. people make money. New age equals money. For now, anyway. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away.